Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 196. Today is July 9th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, there was an extremely interesting week in the stock market. We saw the S&P 500 basically close at an all-time record high, just a little bit shy of it. This is at the same time when interest rates are at literally at absolute historic record you know, record bottom lows. Here in the United States, we're also continuing to see a lot of civil unrest manifest itself. You know, we had uh, police officers gunned down by a sniper in, in Dallas on Thursday night, and yet market opens up on Friday without really any negative reaction at all. In fact, as you would expect from what we've seen from other mass shooting events, uh, stocks like Smith & Wesson actually rallied on to make all-time new record highs. It is very interesting to me, though, that there is a great deal of civil unrest right now for a, a multitude of reasons. And when you have this kind of slaying in a major American city, uh, which is you know also being accompanied by many demonstrations and protests in cities across the country, and yet the stock market doesn't even pause or show any type of negative reaction. Perhaps it's because we live in some type of a parallel universe where everybody thinks that there's a Federal Reserve put out there, a backstop to prevent any bad things from happening. And indeed, when we have over $4.5 trillion on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and trillions upon trillions of dollars circulating from other central banks throughout the world in a time when there is pretty much, you can call it zero or or stagnant global growth. We're talking about numbers approximately 3%. So we haven't gone into a global recession, but there's no way an argument can be made for any type of global growth. And yet, as I've mentioned, U.S. stock market is at or near all-time record highs. Well, that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. I do want to start out by inviting you to listen to an episode of the Survival Podcast that I was recently a guest on. In fact, I had sent Jack Spierko an email on Thursday, which resulted him in inviting me onto his podcast on Friday. So this is really just an ad hoc, off-the-cuff discussion between two friends We start out and and specifically geared the interview about talking about automation and about how white-collar jobs are going to be drastically impacted by this. And this is things that I think are going to be occurring, you know, over the next 10 to 15 years. And then during the interview, we also cover a a multitude of of current events, things like, you know, the, the Dallas shooting of the police officers and where the stock market's headed. So I'd invite you to take a listen to that episode. A link will be in today's show notes. For those of you that are not familiar with the Survival Podcast, you should definitely check it out and give it a listen. Well, let me digress here for a moment. We start out that interview where I give a a historical reference, and that's where I make reference to a, a time period in history in 1815. This is right after Napoleon has conquered Europe. And in the United States, there's a, a huge period of expansion going on where people are, are moving from the clusters of the eastern seaboard and moving into the interior of the country. So at this time in 1815, people that are 20 years old are seeing a time period where the United States and indeed the world is going through such rapid changes that by 1830, only 15 years later, Their world has changed so much that it's almost not recognizable. I think that's an appropriate look back on history because I think that's where we are today with the shift that we're seeing in technology. 
And I do think that automation and technology over the next 15 to 20 years will create a world that's almost unrecognizable from today. Now, I'm not going to get into all this in this episode. Please go over and listen to that recent interview with Jack Spierko. And in fact, if you go back to January, him and I did an an in-depth interview specifically about what I think is going to occur with automation. Well, looking back on my conversation, what I wish I would have closed the interview out with was a quote from Horace Greeley. This is from that same time period when the country was seeing so many changes in, 18, in 1833. And Horace Greeley, you may remember, he's famous for, for having the quote, Go West, young man, go West. Well, the other part of that quote that you may not be familiar with goes like this. There is health in the country and room away from the crowds of the idlers and imbeciles. So that's what prompted Greeley to say, go west, young man, go west. Well, I think we can modify Greeley's quote to where we're at with today and with the situation that's going to be changing with automation and technology. And so to any young people, I would say, embrace technology. There is wealth there and room away from the crowds of idlers and imbeciles. So, hey, take that for what it's worth. Let's talk about the stock market today. Specifically, I I want to talk about the huge divergence between where we're at with interest rates and what kind of red flags they're flashing to us, and yet the market's at all-time highs. I told you this week to to look out for the jobs report. It came in at, I don't know, 275,000, something like nearly 300,000 new jobs created in June. That was very good news. If it had been weaker, that would have been a sign that the economy uh, may be falling into recession because you'll remember May's job number was abysmal. It was something like, I I think it's been revised down to something like under 10,000 jobs created in the month of May. How they can actually calculate those numbers, I have no clue. I actually put little faith in them, but there you have it. That's what the official number is. So Wall Street really liked that jobs report number because it was so high. I think actually if you average the two of them together, you know, you're coming up with 130, 150,000 jobs each month. I guess that's an acceptable number, but certainly not a major job expansion when you consider where this economy has been through. And, and as I started at the beginning of this episode, it was really shocking to me, really quite amazing, that despite the uh, assassination by sniper fire of the police officers in Dallas uh, on Thursday evening, the U.S. stock market opened up without a concern, just totally disregarding any type of civil unrest that's currently going on in the country. I find that curious behavior given Wall Street's tendency to react to negative news. What I find even more curious, though, is that at the same time the S&P 500 is approaching an all-time record high, interest rate yields on the 10-year Treasury this week actually fell below their all-time historic low. Now, that previous low occurred in the year 2012. Let me remind you what was going on then. This is when Barack Obama was uh, going through his re-election campaign. There was a lot of political uncertainty going on. There was some fear from some sectors that the Senate and the House of Representatives could be taken over by the Republicans, and that may cause problems with implementation of uh, Obamacare, which had been passed previously, but had not really been fully implemented. So that was creating a lot of uncertainty. You can remember the year before, this is when the Republicans in the House had threatened a government shutdown. The U.S. had lost their three-star credit rating and had it downgraded. The U.S. dollar had plunged. Uh, In 2011, that's when we saw gold peak and hit its all-time record high of something up above like $1,900 an ounce. So here we are a year later, 
In 2012, gold is still over $1,700 an ounce. Oil is over $100 a barrel. And because of the political turmoil and uncertainty that's going on, uh, particularly from uh, comments from the Republicans where there there may be another government shutdown and where they're forcing through what uh, they're calling their austerity measures, I think at the time they were calling it a, a sequester on the budget where they were supposedly going to come up with, you know, $100 billion in budget cuts, which really weren't cuts. They were decreases in increases of growth. Uh, the, the press at the time were referring to it as a financial cliff. Do you remember all that? Well, that's what spurred the drop in interest rates and, and up till that time what had been the lowest yield on the 10-year treasury, which was which was somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't remember if it was uh, 1.4% or if it had gone all the way down to 1.38, 1.39, something in that range. Well, we fell below that this very week. And it's, again, very curious and interesting to me that that would be occurring now when we don't have all the headwinds that we had back in 2012. Right now, certainly there is political uncertainty, but there is absolutely no concern about anybody restraining the budget next year, the year after, no matter who becomes president. Whether it's President Clinton or it's President Trump, you can rest assured that we're going to have some major Fiscal stimulus spending, I don't know if it'll be in the form of shovel-ready jobs or helicopter money or tax rebates, infrastructure spending. Maybe it'll take place in all those forms, but regardless of who's president, the deficit and government spending are going to go up next year. So there's no concern about a government shutdown. The U.S. dollar has strengthened massively too since uh, 2012. Probably since then it's up maybe, I don't know, 30%. And yet interest rates are at rock bottom levels. This is, of course, because other countries are at either zero or negative interest rates. And in fact, I think the study has come out and there's something along the lines of over $10 trillion of long-term government debt that's paying negative interest rates. So to put that in some type of a perspective, $10 trillion, that's about the size of the GDP of the country of China, or if you look at the next two economies, the number three and number four economy in the world, Japan and Germany, if you put their two countries together, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 trillion. So all of that amount of wealth is currently being invested in government debts that are paying negative interest rates. So why would investors put that much money into bonds that are not paying anything? And in fact, they're losing money by investing in those bonds. Well, for one thing you have to remember, it isn't necessarily mom and pop investors. A lot of that is actually sovereign debt itself or money from central banks. Even our own Federal Reserve, although they've officially stopped quantitative easing back at the end of 2014, they've never retired any of that debt. And so as it matures, they continue to roll it over something to the tune of over $20 billion a month of the Federal Reserve balance sheet is being reinvested in new debt. So when we look at these negative interest rates, a lot of that is being driven by funny money, phony baloney, monopoly money. But there are indeed some investors that are actually purchasing it, and they're not necessarily losing money. Imagine if you're a British hedge fund and you use your British sterling pound to purchase a Swiss treasury note, which is paying a negative 1% interest rate. Well, since the British pound has just recently tumbled, that type of an investment would have actually paid perhaps a a positive 13% return, even though the bond is yielding a negative 1% interest. And that's because of the carry trade 
or because of the arbitrage in the value of the different currencies. So there's a lot of that going on as well. The other thing that concerns me is that I keep saying that the market is all-time record highs. Well, that's the United States market. The German market is down something like 10% year-to-date. China-Shanghai market down over 15%. And Japan down over 20% year-to-date. What's interesting to me about the Japanese market is that we have seen a significant strengthening in the Japanese yen, uh, mostly all year, but in particular just over these past few weeks after the Brexit. And I don't think that we've seen a, a, a correlation between that and the Nikkei stock market there. You remember, they generally move opposite to each other. As the yen becomes more valuable, that puts pressure on Japanese exports. So their cars and electronics become more expensive. So usually as the yen goes up in value, the Nikkei goes down in value. Now, certainly the Nikkei has come down in value over the past weeks, but I don't think to the extent that it should have based on that huge rise in the value of the yen. Even so, Japan down 20%. We're here in the United States, we're at all-time record highs. Now, I'm not proposing an answer or a solution to any of this, and in fact, I'm quite perplexed because as I look at the data, it looks like we are just at a major inflection point and Everybody is just waiting to see what ne what's the next shoe to drop. And they seem to really be discounting a lot of those bad shoes, I think because of intervention from not only the U.S. Federal Reserve, but all the central banks. The problem is the ammunition that these central banks have may be running out. Now, I'm not predicting gloom and doom here because, I, as I mentioned before, no matter who becomes president in 2017, I think you're going to see major government spending. Indeed, it'll be akin to what the former Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke called helicopter money. And I think that could propel and, and send the United States stock market up onto all new highs unless something major league happens. And with that, I'm talking about major failure in China where, you know, they devaluate their currency. And oh, by the way, if you've noticed in the past few weeks, it's gotten lost in the headlines. But the Chinese are very cautiously and very quietly devaluating their currency here since the Brexit occurred. But what I'm talking about over there is just a major league catastrophic failure of their banking system where we see perhaps a 20 to you know 50% devaluation of the Chinese RMB. Or as to other shocks to the system, it could be continued civil unrest and violence in the United States, whether it be racial violence or political type assassinations. Or we could see, you know, continued shocks from outside the U.S., you know, Zika virus in Brazil, a further collapse in the Brazilian economy, perhaps other countries in Northern Europe, perhaps wanting to exit out of the, the EU, or maybe the failure of Italian banks or, or Portuguese financial system. I don't know what it's going to be, nor can I predict the future in any way. It just seems like the market that we're in right now, the S&P 500 approaching 2130, all-time record highs, it seems like the market is priced to perfection. Because interest rates are at such historic rock-bottom lows, people are disregarding all types of risk and they're piling into dividend-paying stocks and higher-yielding investments like REITs or like utility stocks or you know any of the big blue-chip Dow Jones industrial stocks that, that pay a nice dividend, 
and they've bid the price of those stocks up so high where many of them are in excess of 20 times earnings, even though there's absolutely zero chance of any type of growth. This, to me, is akin to what we saw a few years ago with the oil pipeline uh, limited master partnerships where people were saying, hey, but it pays, you know, 8% dividend yield and, you know, the price of oil is never going to go to zero. So this is a, a, a rock sure investment. Or if you even want to look back seven or eight years ago when people were flocking into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac type investments where they're saying, hey, this is backed up by the full faith and security of the U.S. government. It's the housing market. It's never going to go bankrupt. The government will never let it fall apart. Real estate prices will keep increasing. Well, if you were an investor in Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae paper back in you know, 2008, 2009, you know what happened. I'm also extremely concerned about civil unrest in the United States and what's going to happen in this very polarizing election year. Today, I did a quick blog post over at investablewealth.com where I pointed out some highlights of the very tumultuous 1968 presidential election cycle. For those of you that are younger, you may not remember 1968, but it was a watershed year for bad things happening to the United States. I'm not going to run through them here. Read that blog post. I will put a link to it in today's show notes. I run down six or seven of the very bad things that happened that that year, including the assassination by a sniper of Dr. Martin Luther King and all the violence that erupted from that. And there's also a chart in there that shows the performance of the S&P 500 from a period of about four years, you know, two years prior to the election of 1968 and two years after. I also have a comparable chart to where the market is today. You'll notice on that chart that initially the market rallied to an all-time record high shortly after Richard Nixon won the November election. But then within the following year, the market plunged by over 30%. The chart is very telling. Take a look at it. We know that history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes, and we remain in a period since 2009 where we have not seen a substantial market pullback. Well, the only advice I can offer you is to invest with caution. And so, hey, that'll do it for today. Until our next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.